Let's pray together tonight. Father, we cry out to you, Lord, because we need you. We need your strength. We need your touch. We need the illumination of your Holy Spirit to help us, Father, as we continue to walk through the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that in this brief moment tonight, that, Lord, you will plant the reality of Revelation 14, verses 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20. Lord, plant them within our hearts. God, may we, um, Lord, rejoice in the truth that is there. And God, may we always be anticipating the glorious appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, it is in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen and amen. Well, if you will, take your copy of the Scriptures and open to the 14th chapter of Revelation. Um, we have come to the end of chapter 14. And we will read uh, as a unit, verses 14 through 20. And if you would, stand for the reading of God's Word. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud. And seated on the cloud, one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head, and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he sat on the cloud, so he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire. And he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I will begin by reminding you, as I often remind you, keep in mind the book of Revelation does not read like a novel. It does not go in a, in a consistent chronological uh, reading. Uh, you'll, you'll get frustrated if you, if you try to read it like that. Um, it jumps all around. It's not a one, two, three, but a, a one, five, two, and six sort of reading. And you just have to get used to that. Besides, it's 
I cannot overemphasize this, and I think I mentioned this last time. The more I study the book of the Revelation over, over, over the years, many years, the less importance I see on chronology and more importance I see on focusing on the revelation of Jesus Christ, the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. Um, because I think we can, we can end up, we can get obsessed with some stuff and go down some roads that we don't necessarily need to go down, that we go down thinking, oh, wow, we're doing the right thing, but we're losing sight of Christ and His coming and the need for the church to be looking for that appearing. Well, the section that we're about to dive into right now at the end of 14 um, is jumping ahead uh, to a future event, jumping ahead of when these trumpets, these angels, that we, these three messengers we just saw, it's going uh, ahead of them. It's jumping ahead to when Christ returns, the actual return of Christ with great power and great glory. And oh, how that second coming, that final harvest as we'll call it, because that's the imagery being used here in these verses. Oh, how when He returns, it'll be so different than His first coming. Uh, when He came the first time, He came as a lamb to be slaughtered, to save all of His people, His people that are marked with repentance and belief in Christ. When He returns, He's coming the second time is a judge to bring judgment upon all who refused to submit to His Lordship, upon all who were not His people. And so He's coming the second time to gather the saints, banish sinners, and crush Satan under our feet. And that is a glorious truth. He will not come bearing a cross, but He will come wearing a victor's crown. When the eastern sky splits open, it will be the King of kings and the Lord of lords who will descend on clouds with great glory. Remember what John said when the book of the Revelation opened in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7. He said this, Behold, He's coming. That word is always, He's on His way. He's coming. He's coming with the clouds and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him, and they will wail on account of Him. Now tonight, may God grant us understanding as we walk through this vision of this future final day and the great harvest. A harvest, this harvest, this final harvest, it will be a great rescue for God's people, but it will be a harvest of judgment for many on that day. So let's look. We'll walk through these verses. And I did um, give you an outline um, tonight to kind of help you as I walk through these verses of Scripture. But the first thing that I would note for you as we look at these verses is in verses 14 and 15. And we... It, and we, we, we see that it's referring to the time of His return. And we see, first of all, concerning this return, we see the person 
of Christ. Notice the text says, Behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man. Now there is no debate over who John is seeing in this vision. He is seeing the Son of Man. That is a title that was given to Jesus at His first coming. Jesus refers to Himself as the Son of Man some 82 to 84 times in the Gospel of Mark, in the Gospel of Matthew, and Luke, and John. He refers to Himself and takes that title. Well, where is this Son of Man? According to this verse, what does it say? He is seated on a cloud. This is... Um, the very language. We know this is talking about Jesus. This is talking about His return. It's the very language Jesus used to refer to Himself when He returns, when He talks about His return in the Gospel of Matthew and in the Gospel of Luke. For example, let me read to you what Jesus says about His own return in the Gospel of Luke. In Luke chapter 21 and uh, verses 25... Um, through 28, Jesus teaches this about the end of the age. He says, And there will be signs in, in sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and they will, here it is, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your head because your redemption draws nigh. Now that will be a beautiful thing for the church. Now we see this is the person of Christ. Notice the position of Christ. He is coming with a great authority. He is wearing, what does the text say? It says there is a golden crown. On his head. There's a golden crown on his head. It, and that is reminding us of the great glory that our Christ carries. Um, the Greek word that is used for crown here is the same word that it is used when you refer to the laurel wreath that is put on um, an Olympic victor in the Olympic Games. And so this is the victor's crown. And this crown that he is wearing is not just any crown. It's a crown of gold, which is reminding us again that he is the king. It is talking about his kingship, that the Christ who comes again, he comes as the king of kings and lord of lords. Um, when John sees this vision about his return, he does not see a lamb. He does not see a carpenter come from Nazareth. He, he sees the conquering lion of Judah. He sees the conquering king coming to crush Satan under our feet. Now, note also the power of Christ at his return. That is symbolizing the fact that there is a, was the text to say, a sharp sickle in his hand. This is the imagery of power when he comes. A, a sickle is an instrument that's used in a harvest, particularly like a harvest of wheat. 
It's, uh, you've seen pictures of them. Archie's probably used them many times back in the day. But it is a, um, a long, uh, curved, razor-sharp blade, and at the, it's at the end of a broomstick-looking-like handle. If you've ever seen pictures of the fictional Grim Reaper, you've seen a sickle. Um, well, at the return of Jesus Christ, it will be used, the sickle, it will be symbolically used to gather His people, the wheat, we are the wheat, okay, to gather His people, be used to gather us unto Him and it, into His barn, but it will also be used to cut down the weeds. Will be used to cut down the tares, the wicked, that will be burned in the fire of his judgment. And all of this that I'm referring to is going to unfold in verses 16, 17, 18, and 19 here in chapter 14. Now, in verse 15, we see something that is troubling to people sometimes when they read it. And I would call this the permission. For Christ, because it's some have trouble with the fact that we have this angel that comes and is giving um, Christ permission. Um, He tells Christ to um, that it's okay for him to now go and do this to return. That may seem odd that an angel comes and tells Christ that his time has come. But this is the way it is according to Jesus. You know what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 36. He said, No one knows the day nor the hour, not even the Son of Man, only the Father. Now that's troubling to some people. Why is that? And and we can speculate why that is. I, I genuinely... Uh, I, I usually refer to the fact while he was on earth that Christ walked as a man, and so as the humanity of Christ was certainly not omnipresent. Here we have him, though, in heaven. So how would I explain that, you might think? Well, I don't know how it all works. I don't know why it is that Christ would not know the exact time, but the Father only, when Christ and the Father are one, and there's the mystery of the Trinity that we cannot even begin to to work out in in our own minds. Perhaps there's some reason that it's related to the fact that I know that Jesus Christ is different in heaven after the resurrection because... Because he is now in his glorified body. He is in his glorified body and he will be in that glorified body from now on for eternity future. He's in that glorified body in which he came out of the tomb on when he rose from the dead. I don't know if that has a reason why that is. Nevertheless, there is permission that is given. Now, secondly, notice tonight the task of his reaping in verses 16, 17, 18, and 19. The text says, So he who sat on the cloud, this is Jesus, so he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. The earth was reaped. So now, 
in verse 16, we have the second coming and the final judgment and the separation of the wheat from the tare. It's all being expressed in one sweeping sentence. I mean, that sentence is encompassing a lot of stuff that's going on. We, we, we like to compartmentalize it and separate it in our minds and keep everything in nice little easy boxes. But it's all being, it's, it's, it's being communicated all in one sweeping sentence right there in verse 16. When he, and so um, here we see it's this final harvest of the ages. We see that this harvest is expressed in two harvest events. One is going to be the grain, though it doesn't specifically speak of the grain here, and the other is going to be what we'll refer to here as the harvest of the grape because that's the language used here. And we see that Christ is going to employ the work of angels in gathering of the saints and in bringing judgment on the sinners. Um, that is exactly what Jesus taught. Remember me telling you, and I've told you, many times before that our understanding of revelation has to be through the lens of Jesus' words. It has to be through Jesus' teachings in the gospel, not the book of Daniel, as some people would tell you. you. In order to understand Daniel rightly or to understand the book of Revelation rightly, you've got to look at it from a Christocentric place, and that would be the teachings of Jesus. And so that, I believe, you have to go back to all the time to refer to what Jesus taught and what Jesus said. And this is exactly what Jesus taught and what Jesus said. Um, if you go to Matthew chapter 24, and, and in verse 31, um, Jesus said this. He said, and what he said, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet, and they will gather his elect. Who is that? That's the church. They will gather His elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. He will send out His angels to gather His people. Now, we break down this harvest task. We see, uh, first, there is the grain harvest. Um, has to be by virtue of the fact that Jesus is, is communicating these in one single sentence here. Um, we see really the fulfillment of um, the parable of the weeds right here. If you remember Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 13, verses 23 through 40. Matter of fact, let me go back and read that to you. Just let Jesus do a lot of talking tonight. Um, Jesus taught in, um, in, in Matthew chapter 13. Uh, beginning in verse number 24, this is the parable of the weeds. He says, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in the field, but while his men were, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then you do, did you, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. 
And the harvest time, at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, that's those angels, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Okay? And then he explains all of this um, in a little more detail later on, beginning in verse 36, he says, Then he left the crowds and went into his house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. And the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are angels just as weeds are gathered and burned with fire so it will be at the end of the age the son of man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth then the righteousness the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says. So in, in the, that parable, we have this event being talked about. It's referring to it here, what we're reading in, in Revelation chapter 14. And so the primary focus, though, after he announces this, he throws the light on the wrath that is coming. And what I would call the great harvest in verses 17, 18, and 19. And so the scene shifts from the field to the vineyard. And the vision zeroes in on the lost nations, unregenerate humanity here. The lost are compared to a field of grapes that is ripe for the bursting, as the text says. The time has come for their harvest. Uh, the text says um, that it has. The wine press, of course, was typically um, two vats that were connected by a channel in John's day. The grapes were put in an upper chamber and the people climbed into the wine press and they used their feet to crush the grapes. That really sounds disgusting to me. I don't know that I would want feet juice in with the wine juice. But anyway, that's how they would crush the grapes. And so um, they would do that, and then the juice would run out of the upper vat, and it would run down the channel into the lower vat for wine. Now, this final harvest culminates here in this text with the battle of Armageddon. Notice, last of all, the terror of his reckoning in verse 20. Um, I will read verse 20 to you again in Revelation 14. He says, And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and the blood fro flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle, for 1,600 stadia. Verse 20, and, and we will look at the battle of Armageddon, that judgment as we refer to it as the battle of Armageddon. 
when we get to Revelation chapter 19 in more detail, because it's more detailed there. Um, but here, this is speaking of that time when, um, as the writer of Hebrews talks about, the Lord makes His enemies His footstool here. Um, the place of this, it's, 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 we see the place, it's going to be outside the city. Um, this carnage will not fall within the city of Jerusalem, but it will be outside of the city. Um, this, the pain it, of, of what will take place in a moment is absolutely unbelievable. It says that the blood of those, because here we have, if you think back to Psalm 2, we see that the nations have gathered against the Lord and the Lord sits in heaven and He laughs. And I wonder why, because it's almost futile that they would do this. But the Lord, when He, when he defeats them in a, one swift blow, all of these masses of unregenerate nations, um, their blood will be as piled high, whether this is literal or figurative, I don't know, but it's bad as high as a horse's bridle. That's approximately four feet high. And it will be as, as, will be as broad and go out and cover as far as 1,600 stadia. That is about the equivalent of 200 miles. That's a lot of blood. That's a lot of blood. And so there will be great pain that day, but that judgment will be swift and it will be perm permanent. It will be a final decree in that moment and oh my though it will be bad for the unregenerate as Jesus alluded to back in one of his gospels in Luke hold your head up saints your redemption draws nigh amen alright well guys let's, let's pray tonight Father um, Lord we Again, thank you for the truth of your word. And God, there are so many um, complex and weighty things that uh, we come in contact with, especially in a book like that of Revelation. Lord, I pray that you will, Lord, give us understanding. And God, I pray that Father, the reality that, Lord, this world will not be as it is always would be an encouragement to your people. The reality that Christ is coming one day would be an encouragement to your people. The reality that one day all the Antichrist enemies of the church will be made a footstool. The reality that one day Satan will be crushed under our feet, that those realities would be encouragements for our heavy hearts at times. Lord, encourage your people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen.